0: Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I am your host, Derek Malentzak, and this is episode 59 of the podcast, and I am happy to be with you today for episode 59 and week 14 of the uh, pretty traditional college semester that hopefully many of you are drawing to a close with. And uh, the end is near, folks. Uh, I am in the home stretch of, you know, kind of tying things up in in my classes, and I trust you guys are as well. So I'd like to hear about those goals and uh, how the achievement process went. So send me an email if you uh, set a goal this year, Uh, this semester with me and uh, want to talk about how it went, either for better or for worse. I'd love to hear, yeah, Derek, you uh, helped inspire me to set this goal, and I actually achieved it. And it was great, and thanks for your help. That would really warm my uh, heart. But also, I would like to hear things like, you know, I didn't achieve my goal. Uh, these were the reasons why this was something I could have used some extra help in. Um, This was an area that uh, I struggle with that you didn't tackle on your episodes of your podcast. So that kind of feedback would really help me too. I'm sorry if that that is the case and that um, you did not get the help you were looking for. But I'm always trying to make this better. And I'm only really going on my own intuition. And The self awareness I have about how effective this podcast can be is only so, um, it can only take me so far before I need the feedback of you guys, the listeners, the people that download the podcast every week. I know you're out there because I could see the numbers. Um, Get in touch with me. Let me know what you think about this season and uh, how things went for you with setting your goal this year. Uh, so next week episode 60 will be the final episode of 2017 I will be taking about a five-week break or so and um, kind of recharging my batteries taking some time off for myself to spend some time with family and just enjoy life because that's why we work so hard and uh, I encourage you guys too during your winter breaks to really take the time and enjoy the, the hours you spend you know, away from school, doing things you love, you know, even if it's things like preparing yourself to be as as well as you can for next semester, you know, that's hopefully somewhat enjoyable is is a sort of down tempo shift from what you've been doing. Um, I think that's why the career of working in academia and being a teacher really appeals to me um, above all is that just when it gets to be a little too stressful and a little too routine, you get a break, you know, um, I can do anything for 15 weeks. Um, And then you have a little bit of chance to, um, you know, recharge yourself and take some time away and you come back, you do something else for a little while during those breaks, even if you're still working, but not um, necessarily teaching in my way, in my regard, or learning in your regard. Um, You know, it's just nice to have those sort of breaks that you can anticipate as opposed to many other positions and jobs and careers where it's just every day, pretty much the same kind of um, thing you can expect month to month, season to season Um, that works for some people too. you know, routine is is something I preach all the time on this uh, podcast. But for me, I like routine but I like to know that it's going to get mixed up in a little while. And that's what's going to happen to me in about two weeks. And I'll have, you know, four or five weeks where I can take some time off and you guys can, you know, do things that hopefully you guys really enjoy, whether that be hanging out with friends, um, getting into hobbies that you may have neglected while you were in school, Um, you know, maybe setting goals for 2017 when it comes to, you know, New Year's and resolutions. I'm not big on resolutions because the time frame is too long in terms of a year long thing that you usually, uh, set a goal for right around January 1st. I tend to like shorter time frames, like, you know, three months or about there. And that's why I think the semester length goes so well with the goal setting sort of model I have for this podcast. So anyway, I've gone on for about five minutes, really about nothing, just an introduction, but, uh, Just wanted to kind of, you know, talk a little freeform about some things that I've been thinking about when it comes to the podcast and participation and, you know, the limits of my own self-awareness with how good I think this is actually and how beneficial it is for you guys. So uh, reach out. And I think that's a good segue because I I did bring up self-awareness to today's topic. So this is a topic that is a little bit challenging to address. Uh, It's one I've put off for a long time. Because I don't really feel like I'm an expert in teaching self awareness by any respect. Um, I have had to talk I've talked about it in groups that I've done for people with mental health uh, disabilities when I was uh, working in a uh, partial care program, running a lot of groups. Uh, But I had the idea when I was uh, going and looking at Gary Vanderchuk's uh, feed of his podcast and I had said last week that I th- it looked like the Ask Gary V show had ended because they hadn't uh, had an episode since October. Uh, so they made a fool out of me and then released an, an episode this week. So apparently the Ask Gary V show is still alive. They maybe just took a hiatus. I haven't had a chance to listen to the episode, but I saw in the feed that Gary had left out his uh, episode or his chapter from his newest book, Ask Gary Vee, on self-awareness. And that was one of the, I thought, the best chapters in the book because he's real big on it. And uh, he talks about how he doesn't know how the hell to teach it. Um, So I thought it would be cool. So last week I had you guys, I assigned it as a home exercise to listen to the, I think it's 24 minute, chapter on self-awareness that Gary V. reads and he gives away on his podcast. Uh, I will link to that in today's show notes, but you can also find the link in last week's uh, show notes for episode 58. I hope you had the chance to listen to it. I listened to it a few times over the weekend as I was painting. I know I talked last week about achieving my goal of painting the upstairs attic, but I still have the hallway the stairs going up to the attic so i was working on that this weekend and i listened to this uh episode a few times and i i i I was reminded how it's more of like a question and answer format for the book so people wrote in and asked questions and he answered them and that's essentially the book and i thought it'd be cool if i took a few of those questions that were asked and answered them from my own perspective and then for the rest of them which aren't really like you know what was the toughest time you type questions uh, I'll kind of talk about Gary's answers and give a spin on them by providing my own. So hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, I think it's going to go pretty well. All right. So the first question uh, that they asked Gary in uh, this chapter was, what are some easy ways to become more self-aware? And he admittedly struggles with this one and says that there really are no easy ways uh, and does not believe that self-awareness can be taught and I find that interesting uh, because I, I tend to disagree. I say that it can be because I have seen it improve in people in certain areas. So for instance, I always sort of equated self-awareness with insight, right? Um, if you are self-aware, you kind of know yourself, right? You are able to say, with a little bit more conviction, you know, this is the way I'm feeling right now, or I need this in order to be successful. People that are conversely not self aware uh, lack these things. And inside, I thought was the same thing. It's like kind of like an internal understanding of how you operate. And some people are much better at kind of being able to monitor themselves and say, hey, this is what's going on with me right now than others. And how do you teach that if people don't have it? So I've seen it in the development of insight. When I used to work in the you know, community mental health world, we talked about it in terms of insight into one's illness and the idea that somebody that has a, a thought disorder, primarily something like schizophrenia, a lot of times the person that has schizophrenia doesn't believe they're sick doesn't believe they have an illness doesn't believe they have schizophrenia really doesn't understand why they're taking medications because why would they take meds for an illness they don't have and i think a lot of us can relate on that level it's like well yeah i wouldn't either why do they even take them and um there's probably a lot of reasons for that but over time you can in some ways teach people to become more aware of the fact that for instance they have this illness um and most of the time it was like it was moments of of clarity and lucidity where the person temporarily is like, wow, you know, I really I do know that I I, I have these beliefs that aren't true. And, you know, I, I hear things that aren't there and, and I know it's my illness, um, but I just, you know, it's so real right? And then you for the rest of the, you know, time, they're back to, what are you talking about? I don't have an illness, you know, they just have a moment of clarity. And that's when you can really have potentially a profound effect to talk to somebody. Um, You know, if you got their permission to record that, um, you know, it it, would that's a touchy thing, right? But if you you're thinking about it yourself, right? If I'm doing a lot of like, um, kind of self-help with people. So think about this from your own standpoint. If you if you believe that you could stand to improve in this area of becoming more self-aware, um, think about the times when you're particularly clear or when you think you're clear, right? When you're like, wow, I, I had this really profound moment. Write about it right in that moment. Or just turn on your phone and record yourself talking about it and save it and go back to it every once in a while, when you are maybe feeling a little bit doubtful about those feelings that you may have had. He talks about in the chapter, the, the one suggestion he offers is getting all of the people that you trust together, not all at once, but you know, around the same time and say, Listen, you know, I'm really trying to learn and explore my thoughts and, and the way I, I think and operate. So I need you to be brutally honest with your observations about me. And, and Show me my blind spots is basically what he said in a safe way where the people can feel like they're not attacking me. Um, they're they're doing this because I asked them to. And it's it's hard truths to hear, you know, people that are close to you saying, like, you you believe this, but it's just not true. And being able to say it, you know, with a confidence of saying, you know, the person's not going to, you know, have uh, judge me for it. They asked me f- to do this it could be really hard, probably to read some of the things that people might, you know, if you choose to ask them to write it down, or if they, you know, just tell you, but that can be, you know, that could be a really great way to become very much more self aware in a a short period of time. And the reason why you do it with multiple people is, you know, people have their own biases. So you don't want to just take one person's opinion of, of you, you want to kind of, shop it against everybody else's and if you see themes start to emerge like oh like three or four people said this about me well now you can take it with a bit more um you know veracity and accuracy that this is probably the the case right um so you know i think again of self-awareness when trying to define it is like i guess being a little bit more understanding of what your own personal biases are And kind of having those in mind when you kind of make self-assessments and judgments about yourself, Um, because we all have them. I don't think anyone can be, you know, I guess, quote unquote, truly self-aware in that they they have an unbiased view of themselves. Um, But I think people that are more self-aware fall less victim to everyday types of biases of things like you can't see it because you're so in it type of thing. All right, let's go into the next one. Um, Oh, actually, one more thing on that. I discussed how development of insight I've come to learn is sort of one aspect of self-awareness. In researching this week's episode, I came across an article. It was actually related to traumatic brain injury. I've included the link in the show notes, but they talk about four factors that impact self-awareness. Uh, one of them is trouble with reasoning or insight is is how they they put it. But the other ones are are trouble with monitoring yourself. And that's what Gary talks about, I think, in his suggestion to have people, you know, basically that are really close to you, be able to tell you how you really are, I guess, in a way that is is sort of safe in in, in a learning experience. The other two are, are memory issues. And trouble with or issues with coping with the symptoms of the, um, you know, illness or injury. So all four of those things, trouble with monitoring yourself, trouble remembering, it's like, oh, I have to be doing this right now. Um, So memory issues, which could be just a a general cognition problem, um, an, an executive functioning issue that cognitive remediation, the stuff I've talked about in the past would work on, work with trouble with reasoning or a lack of insight, which we just discussed, and then issues with coping. If somebody is unable to cope with the really negative impactful symptoms of their illness, they're unable to progress. Alright, now we go on to the next question. Uh what's the most common mistake that founders make when building a consumer-based business? Okay. So here's where we sort of get off onto this tangent of like well, this book, the Ask Gary V book, is intended for entrepreneurs and, and people that are aspiring business people. So why am I talking about this as in a college student podcast? So we'll sort of tweak this question. What's the most common mistake students make when talking about building their their scholastic career from a self awareness standpoint? Okay. Um, and, and Gary talks about, the, you know, the reason why this question was put in this chapter is because the answer is like a, a lack of self-awareness and talks about a lack of confidence. Um, Gary's a very interesting person because he's, he's very dichotomous. There's um, one side of him that is, is very ego-centered um, and he's very, you know, kind of over the top and he believes in himself very highly. Uh, and some people are turned off by that and would say he's sort of egotistical. Um, and then there's this other side of him that is extremely humble and, you know, practices a lot of humility and really just, you know, will talk to anybody, you know, he's not beneath doing the work of the practitioner. He talks about that all the time. Um, so it's hard to like call the man egotistical when on the other and hand he has this other side and he talks about this a lot this like pulling back uh, of two opposite you know forces so um i what what i would say is the common mistake i see in, with students when it comes to i guess their self-awareness and success in school as a result is making the same mistakes repeatedly, um, despite, you know, somebody being very clear in why they need to change that, right? Um, they don't learn, right? The, the school is a place where you can safely sort of, you're supposed to be able to make mistakes, you know, get evaluated or get feedback, usually personalized from somebody an instructor, in this case, and then demonstrate some kind of mastery to say like, okay, I get this. So we as teachers expect students to fail at times, it's like part of the learning process, right. And but the when you see the time, the time, the mistakes made time and time again, with people that you know, you've spent the time uh, working with or at least bringing them issues to their attention, right? A, a teacher has to kind of sometimes really put it very much in the forefront like these are your struggles where a lot of times people around you won't do that right people that you that care about you aren't going to always be pointing out your flaws some will and a lot of times they're assholes um but you know a lot of times that's not the case and that's kind of what you pay for is this professional idea of like here's where i need to improve here's what i do well Um, So when I when I give the personalized feedback to say here's where you need to do better um, and it's not taken, um, it shows me they're sort of not invested or maybe it comes back to the memory issues that we talked about. Like maybe they do hear it in the moment, but then when they go and complete a new assignment, they forget. And there's there's cognitive um, remediation tactics to kind of help with that. Um, But I would suggest sort of, you know, being aware of that, that like you need to like Incorporate feedback from instructors into future work and practice trial and error. Right, Try things and adjust if they don't work. Figure out what you can learn from the experience. I would suggest writing it down or journaling about it and then, you know, make the adjustment Be like, all right, this didn't work because we assume a lot of times the trial happens and there are errors, right? A lot of time, most of the time we don't succeed the first time we try something. So you adjust, and as you continuously adjust, you're learning every time a little bit more, Oh, I just learned that. And so if it's related to things about self improvement, each time you adjust, you're learning a little bit more about yourself. If you can't figure out where you need to adjust, write about it. Okay, let's get into number three, how uh, tips for I'm skipping this one question. But I'm going to go on to tips for presenting for a potential client, Again, really business centered. So I'm going to twist this to what are your some tips for presenting to your instructor? So say you have some sort of project. And you know, it's open ended, right? You can do a PowerPoint, you can do a video, you could write a paper, um, you can kind of, you know, you have free reign. Um, How what What would you do? And he talks about this idea. It's like you do what you're fucking the best at, right? If you're really great looking in front of the camera uh, and feel really comfortable in that uh, in that medium, then go for it. If slide decks are your thing and you spend hours making really really nice PowerPoints, um, then you should go for that. If you are you know terrible at public speaking um you may want to record yourself ahead of time and then play a video you know and it's just kind of like catering to your strengths and this comes back to self-awareness why how do you know what your strengths are you know you could ask people right take those close to you a lot of times just as I said we don't really want to focus on people's flaws we on the flip side may not take time to recognize what we really like about people and I I try and do this with students too, to say, you're really good at this. And that that really sticks with you, right? Um, I remember one piece of feedback my father gave me a long time ago. And he was like, you always always take sort of the opposite side. You always kind of, when everybody uh, wants one thing, you always tend to want the other. You're contrarian, I guess would be what he was trying to describe. And I always thought remembered that. And I was like, that's a really interesting piece of feedback. He was giving it he was saying it to me from a strength space perspective, and it was helpful for me. It was a big piece of, you know, a big piece of the puzzle to be like, oh, I didn't know that about myself. I'm glad he pointed that out in me. You know, I, I just didn't see the pattern. And so when people kind of note those things for you, for positive or for negative. um, It can be extremely insightful and and improve one's self-awareness a great deal. All right, let's talk about the next one. How does humor play a role in business in the the book? But I'm going to focus it on teaching. How does humor play a role in teaching? Um, And again, I'm coming at it from a a self-awareness standpoint classes are boring. <laughs> um, sorry if I'm, this is no truth bomb, right? That I'm dropping a lot of people. It's like, oh yeah, well, you're finally figuring that out. Shit. Um, a lot of times, even if you're really interested in a class and in, in, in the content, you're bored because the, the instructor sucks or it's late in the evening and you've been working all day and it's just your bit downtime, you know, poor energy. So, you know, you just want to get out or you're really stressed about something else. And it sort of is is taking over your ability to focus. Um, there could be a number of reasons why you take classes and don't enjoy them, you know, in any given day, right? I think humor unlocks a lot of that for students that show up and they're like, oh, I don't even want to be in here. I see it all the time. I walk into a class and just these downtrodden faces everybody's either stuck you know their face in their phones or they're just looking like like they want to die <laughs> like it's just like oh the energy is just so down and I disarmed them by walking in with a big fucking smile on my face and they're like I'm like so how's it going And they're all like mm. and I'm like you know what I'm fucking great and it just is like oh they're probably like tired of it by now it only really works in the beginning you know and i don't do it every single week but i'm always just like you know what no i'm gonna start this energy off right and so that's not really funny right but that's like sort of disarming but i try and use humor in my lectures uh sometimes it falls horribly flat i know um i don't really care you know um i don't really care if people don't find me funny i really do want to be found interesting i'd rather not be known as known of as boring uh i don't think i'm super boring but i know i talk about some boring subjects uh so humor plays a role in teaching because it helps with learning you know if somebody is engaged if somebody likes the professor because he makes them laugh or she makes them laugh they're going to be more likely to listen to you you know and they're going to be more likely to kind of Take the things that you're saying when you're not being funny and maybe think about them a little bit more, and then they make you laugh, and it's like, oh, okay. You know, so I, you know, and Gary talks about it in this answer that he gives is like, some people just aren't funny, and you shouldn't try and force it, right? And it goes back to the question prior like, do what you're good at. I don't happen to think I'm super funny, but when I know what I'm talking about, I can like talk about things in a way that make them not super boring like I'm just reading from a PowerPoint or or lecturing what I I'm regurgitating what I I found in the textbook for that week or from an article that I assigned them. Humor is important. I I hope more instructors remember that um, and sort of play to it. Um, Even if you're not that funny (laughs) um, you can find other aspects of your craft that are you know through like youtube videos and stuff and just sort of like lighten the mood temporarily you know or put something funny in your powerpoint yeah take a shot uh all right let's talk about all right so the next question was what was the biggest decision in your life that made you successful today and i really like this question from a self-awareness standpoint because he gary talks about this uh you know second grade uh, fourth grade I forget what, what grade but he was nine where he has this big moment where he gets an F and it, it changed his life and it made him realize he's a businessman um I have not a similar experience but kind of in a way um I remember this uh, memory standing out as a, a really hyper self-aware moment for me when I was really young I don't remember what grade it was but we were reading the book The Pearl and um I it was either second third or fourth grade right around that time And I remember like we were going through it as a class and we're reading it and I'm following along and you know we get to the end and it was like okay let's get on to the next you know whatever we were doing next and the teacher was like okay now we're gonna go over it again <laughs> and I, I remember thinking to myself why and I looked around and I saw that like you know people were still struggling with getting like you know the concept or whatever it was about what the focus of the reading assignment was and it was just like wait people are still struggling with this like how can that be and i remember having this thought like oh i get it because i guess i just kind of get this stuff uh and it made me realize like I guess I just had, I felt, I figured out at that point that I had sort of natural smarts, you know, that I could figure stuff out and that I didn't need to work 100% to get an A. You know, I could work at 80% and get an A minus. <laughs> um, and that was fine with me. And it's kind of disappointing to think back on this memory and think, like, ugh you know, it it happens at such a young age where I realized I was like, you know, I could do I could probably do great things. Because this is so easy to me in comparison to all of my peers. But I don't really need to, I could just do enough to get by and get pretty good grades instead of outstanding grades. And that's kind of the path I ended up taking is I, I worked enough to get an A minus <laughs> um, and tr- really didn't work m- much harder. Um, and so it makes me sad because I think back and I'm like, if I had had the right motivator in my life at that time, that I could have probably been inspired to do great things. Um, not to say I don't think I'm going to do or I have done some great things, I just think, like, I'm talking about exceptional. Um, but that happened in like the third grade when i was reading the fucking pearl (laughs) it was a truly um a moment of self-awareness that just stands out to me as a 38 year old and i was probably like eight years old at the time and it 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 just is wrong you know stayed with me so anyway i'm gonna go a little faster with these because i want to wrap up uh toughest thing i had to do for my career um, I don't really have a good answer for this because I, my career has been fine nothing's really stood out as being supremely tough to me. Um, you know, beating alcoholism was tough and I'm not saying I'm, I'm there yet in terms of having beat it, but you know, that recovery was really tough. Um, but that doesn't really to me have much to do with my career. I'd say what I'm doing right now in, in terms of being in the PhD program and because that's challenging me, I can't, always get by on just like my, my natural smarts and do minimum amount of work and get the A minus. Um, I the, the school the program does challenge me to go beyond that and put in the actual work to to get better. And so I know that because I already tried and failed once and it wasn't that I failed the class I actually got an A which was the ironic part. I've talked about this before. But when I struggled the first time I tried doing the PhD program. I just wasn't in the right mindset. I didn't have the right reasons for wanting it. Uh, So that's changed, and and now I'm aligned with that. But um, that's the hardest thing right now, is is what I'm in in, and at the moment with the PhD program. Uh, How do I keep low self-confidence from keeping me from succeeding? How does, does, I'm going to read that again. How do I keep low self-confidence from keeping me from succeeding? Uh, This is a really really hard one. And and Gary acknowledges it that you might not be able to and I tend to agree in some ways. Right, He talks about the importance of therapy here and communication over drugs, you know, drugs being a short term fix, I agree with all of that Um, therapy that can help you trace back the anxieties that you've just kind of always had and figure out what's kind of what's at the root of that and unwind it is truly empowering and can help in not just your, um, you know, one area of your life, but all of the dimensions of your life. So I agree with that part of his answer. Like, um, if you are if you lack self confidence, it's going to be hard to move forward on any other goals. Um, So the goal has to be first like fix the confidence issue, right? Uh, and that could be done you know hopefully through through exploration you know a lot of it to me is is like would be CBT cognitive behavioral therapy figuring out when why what the thoughts are you know kind of do a little digging on where these might originate from but more focus on like fixing them it's like okay you don't really maybe need to do the psychodynamic like oh it's because my you know I got hit as a child some might need to if trauma is truly an aspect of it and it's Um, you know, things related to PTSD. Um, But if you have a thought that is pervasive, that impedes you from succeeding, like I'm no good, or I can't do this, you need to fix that shit. I'm sorry to put it so bluntly. Um, That is what needs to be worked on. And that's what cognitive behavioral therapy would do is like help identify the thought, figure out, you know, some of the maybe reasons behind it, but more focus on what you do with that thought. Okay, it's making you uncomfortable now thinking about it. Tell me more about that. Okay, now use a coping strategy, you know, do deep breathing exercises. And in 90 seconds, you know, that feeling will be much less severe than it was. That's an example, you know, of how I would teach it from a a CBT perspective. Um, How would you go? How would you suggest telling somebody that they need to stop doing something? you know, so if you see a friend or, or somebody that you really care about, and you just see the lack of self awareness, how do you tell them and his Gary's answer is bluntly <laughs> to their face. Um, after you've tried the, you know, like, hey, you know, he talks about honey over vinegar approach, like this idea, that, like you can build people up and you can kind of do it in a nice way. And you should do that first. But if they're not getting it, sometimes you do kind of need to quote unquote, like smack them upside the head a little bit with it and be like, yo, wake up wait your second. Um, this is a problem. Uh, and he talks about the market from a business perspective of like, you know, if you believe you're hot shit and your, your product is great and you go out there, the market's going to be the one that verifies that or smacks you down because it's not going to give a shit. And I have experienced that, um, firsthand for the first time this year with, uh, you know, thinking that I had built something with my online course that was, you know, going to be amazingly uh, successful and then seeing what the market actually thinks and being like, oh, wow, that was brutal. <laughs> Ouch. Um, yeah. So when I think about that, I think about the market. Um, when I think about that for everybody else, you know, people that aren't in business, the market is just natural consequences, right? It's like, hey, I think I'm gonna try that joke out on my friend, um, and you have the self confidence to do it, and they laugh. It's like, hey, natural consequence. You told a good joke, people laughed. That made you feel good. On the flip side, you tell a joke and it falls flat, and everyone's just kind of like looks at you. It's like, ooh, there's like nothing that can be like you know a safe way to kind of downplay that. It's like, nope, the uh, the market has spoken. It's like they didn't like it. <laughs> Uh, so think of that as like your natural consequences, and use use the feedback of those around you to self correct and to you know employ trial and error, and be like, okay, that didn't work. Maybe next time I'll try telling the joke this way, or I'll try a joke maybe more in this you know this kind of joke with this kind of group of people. Right? That's what you learn from the the experiences of having natural consequences just occur it's like what would happen to any of us in a non-protected environment um do you think it's necessary to have an outgoing personality to be successful in terms of being an entrepreneur was the question uh gary says no i say no he said there's lots of introverted people um i'm not going to spend a lot of time on that question um it takes all types of people to do all types of things and uh personality, outgoing or, or introverted doesn't really to me relate much to success. Uh, how do I overcome my people pleasing nature in, in the self awareness that comes along with it? Um, he talks about like, why would you want to do that? Right? Why would you want, not want to people please? And sure, this society does talk about and, and champion this idea of like, you need to, you know, stand up for yourself. Uh, and not let people walk all over you. Um, But I sort of agree with Gary. It's like, no, that's a trait, especially that's a strength uh, of people in our department of the the students we teach. Um, You know, human services. Think about those words. Um, Somebody that's in human services, they serve other humans. That's people-pleasing, right? There's a whole field of study around and there's whole careers built around this in a way of... Um, championing championing those people and and building them up. So it's sort of um, it's sort of a contradiction in a way. Um, so don't overcome your people pleasing nature, but it is really satisfying to have the confidence when you want to, to be able to effectively say the word no, and <laughs> no, it's very powerful. Um, so if that's something that you struggle with is like, kind of giving in when you really would rather not, then that is, you know, something to work on. And we just talked about that last week with assertiveness, right? So go back and listen to that week's episode, episode 58. Um, Two more quick questions, how personal is too personal when it comes to putting yourself out there? You know, that's up to you, right? Um, A lot of times, so you can be really personable about some things. And other areas of your life, you choose not to be right. Um, I mean, think about what I do. I'm, I I talk about myself a good deal on this podcast as a way to kind of give examples of what I'm trying to teach. I hope people understand it. I I hope it doesn't come across as like self gratuitous. But I kind of do put myself out 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 there a lot, right? I talk about you know my struggles with alcoholism pretty openly, um, whereas other people may not feel comfortable doing that, especially to the to the public, let alone, you know, their friends. Um, other people, it gets they derive strength from it. Uh, on the same flip side, there are other areas of my life that I don't talk about on this podcast, and I wouldn't even if people asked me. So, you know, those are areas of my life, I want to keep private, and I'll continue to do so. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of how personal is too personal is when it's up to you. And, and also, it does relate to the ethics of wherever you're you're practicing right so in our field right you can't get too personal with the people that we work with in the field Um, I can't get too personal with my students or that could be a big problem you know so it's also knowing the the expectations of um, the ethics of your field and balancing that with you know, being a fucking robot, right? Not being personal is just like, you don't really know the person and then you end up really not caring about them. If they don't really, you can't identify with them as a person. So that's why it's important to, to kind of give a little of yourself to people. Um, because it helps them understand you and helps them empathize. And, and they end up usually liking that. And then the last question, what's more important IQ, uh, intellectual quotient, Um, intelligence quotient or EQ, emotional quotient. Uh, And I agree with Gary that EQ is is infinitely more important and is becoming more and more important as we become as information becomes easier to access, right? It used to be, you know, intelligence, I think had a higher level of um, importance, because you couldn't just go to Google and find out things right? You didn't have calculators to do, you know, difficult computations um, at the speed of, you know, seconds compared milliseconds compared to what you as a human would take. Um, But the ability to deal with adversity, and setbacks and manage symptoms of an illness, whether it be a mental illness or a physical illness, takes a certain level of EQ to be able to have that resolve or the idea that it's like no i need that wasn't correct i need to fix it and here's where i'm going to you know tweak what i did or i this is good enough for me you know i know i'm capable of more but in terms of like the perspective and, and how i value this in relation to everything else in my life i'm i'm satisfied with the amount of effort i put into it so I think EQ is only going to get more important. We talk about soft skills when we help people with disabilities get employed, right? The hard skills are like what's on your resume, right? Where did you go to school? What what previous experience do you have? What computer programs are you familiar with? The soft skills are what you talk about in the interview. It's like I am very responsible. This is how I this is how I can demonstrate to you because I did this, this, and this. You can't just say it, right? You have to back that up. I am. Uh, I care very deeply, uh, I'm passionate, um, I take initiative, you know, soft, I show up on fucking time, you know, it's amazing how much, you know, people struggle with that and then conversely how much people value it. So um, I think that the soft skills are more what we think about when we think about EQ. What do, how do I accept feedback from my supervisor? Am I, Do I get defensive? Uh, and deny it or or blow it off or do i really think about it and and take it to heart and ask for more clarification if i'm struggling with it you know that's eq and that is only going to get more important as we as factual knowledge becomes easier to access and obtain it's how we manage it and how we manage ourselves and our productivity as a result of that that is going to matter so uh, so that's self-awareness. I hope I was able to kind of impart some some wisdom when it comes to how to help in this area from a college standpoint for people that may have, you know, mental health struggles going on right now. Uh, home exercise, none for this week, guys. Um, work on your real home exercises this week. I know that um, school's getting very stressful at this point, probably. Um, next week, at least in our school, there are our final exams. So it's like, ah, get on that shit. Um, next week is our final episode, as I mentioned, of the semester and of the year. So it'll be uh, sort of a wrap-up episode. We'll talk about uh, goal achievement, how we did, what um, what maybe we could have done better on, and um, you know some preliminary plans I had for uh, 2017. So with that, this has been Derek, College Student Success Podcast. Wishing you a great week. Good luck on your finals, everybody. Peace.